Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast-paced world and my name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery and welcome to episode 209. How fun is this? Okay. 200 episodes you spoke to this guest. Okay. Wow. Way back in the beginning. 200 episodes. She was way back in episode 10 and is none other than the lovely Courtney Carver. Yay. I've been wanting to talk to Courtney for ages. For about 200 episodes. Yeah, for about 200 episodes. Exactly. It's so funny because I work with Courtney on Simple Year every year and we get like we, we get to chat, but it's usually just work related. So it's so lovely to have been able to sit down and have a really good heartful conversation with her. And this one is, yeah. this is a cracker of a conversation. So what do you talk about? So Courtney has a book coming out and we do talk about that because, I mean, we talk about it because it's a wonderful book, but the premise of the book is so wonderfully personal and vulnerable uh, and it led us to have this incredible conversation about honesty and figuring out with all of the difficulties that come with it what a heart-centered life looks like for us and a, a bit of what her process has been in order to get there. I don't know if you know anything about Courtney's story but she was diagnosed with MS quite a few years back and that was essentially her um, you know, her come to Jesus moment when it turned, when it comes to simplifying and mm. slowing down and living with intention. And this book, she talks about that in a really unflinchingly personal way. It's incredible. So our conversation really flows on from that. Talking to Courtney, it's always, there's always practical nuggets and gems as well. But yeah, it was just such a beautiful conversation. I got off the call with this massive grin on my face. Awesome. Mm. All right. So Courtney's book. Yes, it's called Soulful Simplicity, mm -hmm. and it comes out on December 26th, which is such a brilliant day for this book. Boxing day. Seriously, it really is, because everyone's either thinking about going like shopping in the sales yeah, yeah. Uh, or in that kind of financial busyness hangover oh, of Christmas yeah. or like the physical hangover as well, I guess. But, yeah. you know, and it's, it's often a time where people are like, oh, I'm moving to excess. I, you know, this does not feel good. That, that kind of day after. So this is a perfect time to for Courtney's message to come out into the world. Uh, and I would highly recommend, actually, now that I've published a book, I know what pre-orders mean to an author and the impact that it has on the success of the book. So if you're in a position to, I would definitely recommend that you uh, check out the pre-orders page on Courtney's website. I will include a link to that in the show notes but uh if you pre-order a book courtney's got some beautiful bonuses awesome. for you as well downloads and she's running a book club and a few other things as well so uh, definitely check that out and is it a worldwide release it is well as far as i know it's yeah. definitely coming out in australia on the 26th so okay. i imagine new zealand would be the same and mm -hmm. from every website amazon and all the, the major ones that i've seen it seems to all be coming out at the same time okay yeah so you can pre-order now and it will be in your hot little hands just after Christmas, which is, again, perfect time for it. And I can highly recommend it. There was quite a few moments where I was, re I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy and I was crying throughout it. It's really, okay. it, in a good way. Good. It's really beautiful. <laughs> really beautiful. The other thing I did want to mention before we get into the conversation is that Courtney is running a simple year again. So that is a 12-month-long guided simplicity course that I'm lucky enough to be a part of. I'm taking the uh, decluttering module, which is running in January. 
but the 12 months of coursework is phenomenal. So the minimalists are presenting, Courtney herself, Tammy Strobel, uh, Mark and Angel Chernoff, Erin uh, Somerville, Tammy, did I say Tammy Strobel? Yes. <laughs> Tammy's so good, I mentioned her twice. Uh, Jules Clancy is doing uh, a couple of modules and it takes uh, you through really, uh, in, a, in a very a kind of intensive year-long way, which is one of the ways that it's quite different to the retreat. And I just did, I wanted to mention that it's quite a different teaching method than the retreat that we've been running. It looks at the broader areas, I guess, of life that need simplifying and then takes you through an intensive kind of period of teaching each month on those topics. Okay. Uh, and there's webinars and there's, you know, that kind of stuff, but lots of homework and things. So depending on how you like to learn, mm. I think, and if you want that guided approach to learning yeah. how to simplify all the main areas of your life, yeah. then definitely check out A Simple Year. You can just head over to, uh, to slowyourhome.com and there's a tab at the top of the website. If you click on that, you'll find out more information about it as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's an honor to be part of it again. Such a cool group of people. Yeah, Courtney's rad. So enjoy our conversation. Hey, Courtney, how are you? Hi, Brooke. Good to talk to you. So good to talk to you. Uh, one day we will meet in person and I will give you a hug, but until then, it's nice to uh, nice to Skype chat with you at least. Definitely. I even enjoy email with you and I don't really love email, so I can imagine that an in-person meeting will be great. I'm hoping that next year that will happen, but uh, we will keep our fingers crossed. So uh, I wanted to dive straight in and talk to you about your tiny wardrobe tour. Have you wrapped that up now for the year or have you still got a few more dates that are happening? I am. I have three more cities to complete the 33 city goal, I guess would be the best word that mm-hmm. I committed to in the beginning. So uh, those three cities will happen over the next, in October, November, and then we'll be done with 33 cities. Wow. I didn't realize you were doing 33 cities. That is very neat and tidy. I love that. <laughs> I thought it would be fun. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's perfect. Can I ask, how has that been? I mean, what's the experience been like in meeting people every month who are actively pursuing less because for, I guess, for a whole heap of reasons, what's that, what's that been like for you? I'm having the time of my life on the tiny wardrobe tour. I'm actually a little sad that 33 cities is almost up because to connect with people online is one thing, but Mm. when you get a hundred people who are all kind of on the same page or at least considering the same page in the same room. And the energy is phenomenal. Seeing the connections happen and just chatting with people is really a cool experience. There's something really powerful, isn't there, about a group of like-minded people just being together. You can almost see the sparks and the connections jumping from person to person. It's, um, yeah, it's really energetic. That's that's awesome. You you mentioned something on I'm pretty sure it was an Instagram post. I couldn't find it when I was looking last night, but uh, that as you've progressed through this tiny wardrobe tour and met people and answered questions, you you, you said at the end of the day it all comes back to love. 
And I wish I could find the initial uh, quote because I, I get the sense that you were talking about the issues that people have and the reasons that we want more and all of the things that drive us at the end of the day, the seed of it or the kernel of that, that those issues is love. Can you, I mean, first of all, can you remember writing that? But also what do you think that's about? I mean, why do you think it all comes back to love? Yeah, I don't remember specifically what I wrote, but I definitely believe that. I mean, I think simplicity is definitely the way back to love. And when people are bringing up different questions, especially when they're talking specifically about their wardrobe or stuff, it's never about the stuff and it's never about the wardrobe or the clothes. It's always about something more, whether Mm. that be, you know, how we love and care for ourselves or our families or why we don't have the time to connect with people we love, why we don't have the money to do the work we love. Uh, It's always this, a bit of this like jumping off point where if we can talk about something tangible and almost easy, like our stuff, we can take that next step into really figuring out what the bigger issue is. And I'm not saying that there aren't some questions that are, you know, legitimately, how do I pair back to 33 items for instance? Mm -hmm. But typically they're just so much bigger than that. Like we, they always end up leading to, leading back to love. It's really interesting and heartwarming. And I think once people make that connection themselves, the changes that they want to make are so much easier because there's a real motivation to make the change. Absolutely. I could not agree more. And I think once we have that why or that motivation or that compass or touchstone or whatever we want to call it in place, it does make things easier because it puts things in perspective. I think that's something that I I often talk about, the importance of putting that stuff into perspective as opposed to what we stand to gain or what we're moving towards. And then it's it's really a no-brainer. It you can you, you immediately know the answer when you when you've faced with uh, you know, the big picture of love or time or, you know, care or whatever it may be, as opposed to this thing that we're holding on to. And I really like that you, uh, I want to talk about your book in a sec because it's incredibly beautiful and I think it's really pertinent to this conversation, but I like that you wholeheartedly take things back to an emotional place and say it's okay for this to be an emotional issue even if it's just, like, quote, just about stuff because I think the tendency with so much of the content around about simplicity and minimalism is that it's so practical And I think that's important because we need to know how. But I think that before that house sticks, before those changes stick for life, I think we really need to know why. And when you start. Agreed. Yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, if we don't, if we don't really feel it, if we don't feel it, feel it, we're not going to do it for very long. Exactly. And when we're focused on our stuff and we're talking about letting go, I think that we are really hyper-focused on missing out. Like, what are we going to miss? What do we have to sacrifice? But when we do have that bigger picture or clearer picture of what this is really about, we see that we've already been missing out on the best stuff. So let's let go of the meaningless stuff. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely, absolutely agree. And I think yeah, there's something really, really powerful about that, that motivation. I actually want to dive straight into your book because reading it, 
and it's wonderful. Soulful simplicity is just such a beautiful, heartfelt, per- deeply personal book. Thank you. Which I love. And it, you should be so proud of it because I, mean, I was brought to tears a number of times reading it and saw so much of myself on the pages as well. But as I was reading the book, that that thread of love is everywhere. It's just it's sewn all the way through the fabric of your book, and I think it's so wonderful. The name couldn't be better. Like soulful simplicity is absolutely what you're, what you're tell like the story that you're telling. So I guess how did you come to writing about that when the tendency is to write for for so many books and things to be hyper practical? Uh, how did you come to that? Was that just a heart heart centered sort of book that you that just burst out of you? Well, I've written uh, some ebooks that are very practical, step mm. by step, how to, and I I enjoy doing that. And it was kind of the place that I was in at the time, mm. as I was just beginning to, you know, really get serious about decluttering and letting go. It does start with the stuff in many cases, but for me it really started from a place of, you know, something's broken and I've got to fix it. Mm. And I felt like I wasn't sharing that story really in the beginning of my blogging only because I was new to blogging. I was probably very, uh, somewhat fearful of getting too vulnerable of sharing too much. You know, I really wanted to find my place in the internet world and, get to know the people who would be open to what I was writing about. And as I got to know those people, they just made such a, a safe place for me to share openly. And I noticed that whenever I would be more open about my story, I would maybe, maybe it wasn't like, Oh, I'm more open. So this particular post was shared more frequently, but I did way more of the deeper connections with people where people would write and say, Oh, me too. Like I've also experienced this or, Oh my gosh, I'm going through that right now or whatever it was. And I saw how powerful that was in terms of, you know, not just for me and sharing the story, but in, in showing other people that, yeah, you're not alone. Hmm. Like we're, we're all going through this. Even if our stories aren't identical, we've got a lot of similarities. And something really kind of magical happens doesn't it when you start to to see that and admit that and talk about that at my book launch recently I I actually said basically the same thing you know it was so wonderful to be sitting in standing in a room full of people who on some level get it uh, because I spent so long feeling like a weirdo and I have eventually come to terms with the fact that maybe I am a weirdo but I'm not alone in being a weirdo you know we had a room full of weirdos and it was kind of it's really beautiful to to come together with with similar minded people around around an idea like that and go okay I might be weird but that's fine because I'm also not alone. Yeah, and I'm I'm learning more and more that even these people that I'm meeting and the people that are supporting me within my family who may not even be on the same page in terms of simplicity, they're not necessarily all like-minded, but they're very much like-hearted mm. in how they want to support each other and how they're open to considering new ideas. And I, I just can't get enough of that. It's it, that's what really, I think, made me feel okay about sharing some of these more personal stories in the book. And 
and even though as I was writing, I would kind of, you know, delete, delete, delete back up and get nervous about sharing some things. And then I would rewrite it and then include the same stories that I was almost afraid to share. Mm. I wanted to ask you about that, actually, just because I'm personally curious. Sure. How or have you felt like a vulnerability hangover um, from, from the process of writing the book? I haven't. I have felt little tiny vulnerability hangovers, but I think because only a small handful of people have read the book to yep. this point, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't felt it. So is that what's coming? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, in the midst of my own very, very solid vulnerability hangover at the moment. So I can't, I can't say what's ahead for you, but that's certainly been my experience. Uh, I guess. How- I mean, I think one, let me just say one thing that I, I hope will have helped alleviate that a little bit and definitely has to this point is the, the parts of the book that I thought were more vulnerable or might impact people I love. I shared that those sections with them Mm -hmm. in advance to say, are you okay with this? And if they said no, that it would have been a deal breaker for me, but they were very supportive about it. And I think that's boundaries, isn't it? I mean, I so often talk about the idea of boundaries in lots of different ways, but when you're talking about sharing things quite deep that are very deeply personal, um, sharing them far and wide, I think setting a clear boundary on what you will and won't share but also what you will and won't feel comfortable with. And then I think once you can operate within those boundaries really freely, you can get a lot of places without going into the areas of yourself that are a little too raw, a little too personal. And I think that's a a good sort of balance to strike. Brene Brown talks about as well the idea that if she's talking about it in public, she's already processed it, so she's okay with it. You know, it's not like you're you're kind of writing these fresh new things on the page and processing them and learning about them as you go in public. It's, I think, and there's that's a really important difference or distinction to to draw when you're sharing those kinds of things. Do you have similar boundaries aside from whether or not your family or friends are okay with you sharing them? Oh, 100%. Like I won't typically write about something on the blog, definitely not in a book uh, while I'm going through it. Mm. So, and some things maybe never, Mm. but with time and in this case, uh, decades (laughs) of time Uh, to process and understand and to really figure out if it's even relevant because I mean, we all go through so many things and some of them are, are just better to let go of in my opinion. So I really tried to look for and try to look for what, how does it connect? How does it make sense? How is it informing the changes that I'm making or recommending? Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. And cause I think there can also just be this idea of sharing for the sake of sharing, you know, uh, and when your aim is to help people simplify, that's probably not in keeping with it necessarily. Right. That's for my journal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we don't need, but they don't need to be the same thing. That's fine. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> so I think there was something that you wrote in your book about your origin story. And it's fascinating to me just to read what life was like for you 10 years ago and the events that unfolded for you to start to to embrace simplicity. But this jumped out at me. You said on the out, you were talking about when you were balancing, you know, some illness and some work and family and all of these other huge issues. 
but you said on the outside it looks like balance. On the inside it felt like hell. And I think that is such a neat way of describing something that's not at all neat. This idea that we're all, well, we've all at some stage tried to find the elusive work-life balance and it it's killing us. You know, what are your thoughts on the idea of work-life balance and and how it fits into this idea of simplicity? In my experience, the work-life balance idea is a total myth. Mm. For me, you know, especially since I've had some time to reflect on when I was really working a lot and raising a young daughter and trying to do all these other things, when I was doing one thing very well, I was just really sucking at the other things. But I didn't see it at first. Like I wouldn't see it. I would just see it as me trying to hold everything together. Or I thought for a long time I was holding it all together. Like it all was fine when really it wasn't fine at all. Like I would be at work thinking about my daughter and what a terrible mother Hmm. I was. Or I'd be at home thinking about all the balls I dropped at work during the day instead of really giving my energy to the present moment. And I, I don't know. I mean, it look, life looks a lot more balanced when you see it on Instagram, for instance, <laughs> and there's yoga classes and beautiful flowers on the counter. And, you know, that's a whole nother story. Like, yeah, it looked pretty on the outside, but on the inside, it didn't feel good at all. And there were definitely some major issues going on. Yeah, I think that our tendency, and we all, I mean, we all do it to, to kind of sim- to simplify our view of what's happening in other people's lives based on the optics of it is also problematic, particularly when you add in things like Instagram. Everyone's curating that that kind of side of themselves, either because it it applies to them professionally or because it just makes them feel better about what's going on in their lives or they're celebrating the good and and not not celebrating the bad. But I just think it just fascinates me what it's doing to our perception of what real life looks like. Yeah, we have to remind ourselves like these are little glimpses. They're filtered. They're staged, which is fine as long as we understand that's what's happening Mm. and and try to, I guess, grab the inspiration from that perspective instead of feeling like we're not measuring up, but in a place where we're rewarded for appearing to do more, do better, you know, constantly saying yes, adding on, you know, people are like, how do you do it? You're amazing. Oh my gosh. You know, we, I think a lot of us feed off of that and then get lost in that. Oh yeah. If I do more, I'm going to be more successful, more loved. Um, that's probably the biggest mm. thing. Like the more successful part is, it, it, I guess we all have our own measurement system around that. But really what we want is we just want to be loved. We want people to love us. And we think that's going to happen by doing more, being more beautiful, uh, saying yes more. Just doesn't work out like that. No. It certainly doesn't. That was, and that was me. I mean, you just described me for many years and probably a lot of people for many years. It was just what, what else can I do to, to feel worthy? And for me, it's all come back to these feelings of self-worth. You know, it was, if I, if I am successful in this regard, then I will think that I'm worthy, you know, and that's love. Like that's a different kind of love. 
Uh, yeah, I just think it's. And would you would you do that on a, like a day to day basis too? Where I know for me, at the end of the day, I'd run through and see, kind of click off everything I accomplished, and that was my. That's how I measured yeah, myself. Absolutely, I remember sitting in my psychiatrist's office saying to her, "I will put my kids down for sleep, and if they <laughs> if they happened to sleep, then I would race around the house trying to do all the things that I needed." to do and she said well what would happen if you did everything that you set a set, like set yourself to do I said well then I would move the goalposts and then which said what would happen if you didn't achieve that second set of goals I said well then I would feel like a failure she said but that's just you know that you're never going to win that game that is not something that you can possibly come out of at the end of the day feeling like you've you've nailed it she said you need to find a different way of measuring your self-worth because uh, you know that's just a a losing game and I think it's it's just yeah fascinating you tell you tell a few stories about your own uh, I guess struggle with with the idea of more and and striving for more uh, in order to to feel like you're doing well at life being a good mom being a good partner a friend sister uh, yeah and I think it's just so universal I really do yeah. And then my work was all about dollars and deadlines. Mm. So that didn't help <laughs> with my measuring system like that. It was just, I mean, I was really, I felt like I was cut out for it because I had some concrete numbers to actually measure, uh, who I was, but it just, you can't measure in numbers. I mean, that's like getting on the scale and measuring your heart by, how much weight you've lost mm. or gained or how your pants fit. I mean, it just doesn't, numbers can't measure your your heart or how you treat people or how you really feel about yourself. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. You talk in the book, but also I think it's just been an ongoing process for you about this idea of making yourself, making me. And I love that because it it makes it very obvious from the beginning that making big changes in your life, even if they take 10 years to, to start to get to the point where you are now, it's work, right? That, like, there is work every day involved in making the kind of changes that you've made over the past 10 years. And those changes have been vast and pretty much covered every element of your life. You know, you've got out of debt, you've become self-employed, you've embraced simplicity, both like in terms of your physical belongings, but also um, you know, in terms of your systems and the way that you think and feel and love and all that kind of stuff. But I think so often we hear stories about that and fail to see the work that happens every day. And I like that you kind of re return to this idea of having to do things that we don't want to do every day necessarily in order to get somewhere that we do want to get. Definitely. Uh, and that work continues doing things I don't want to do so I can do things I want to do. Mm -hmm. like we have to go through that process. It's funny. I'm, I've just started, uh, the whole 30 for the right. fourth or fifth time. And it's this kind of nutritional reset where you eliminate all, um, foods that might be kind of trigger foods like sugar and grains, alcohol, dairy. My husband says fun, <laughs> uh, like, you just get rid of all the things that you know aren't aren't great for you. And for me, I'm doing it right now because I'm, you know, coming into a really full season of work and I just don't want to a think about 
food choices. I want to just know what I have, really limit those choices, but also because I want all the clarity, all the energy and great nights of sleep. And I know that happens when I do whole 30, but do I, I don't want to give up sugar. You know, I, I don't want to have a smoothie every day for lunch. I don't want to use a zillion dishes cooking dinner because it is a little more involved in terms of cooking, but I do want to feel all those things. So I have to do things I don't want to do to feel the way I want to feel. Yeah. And I think it's really helpful for people to hear that because otherwise I think we, we often believe that people who are making big changes and we can kind of see the outward evidence of those changes on places like Instagram, we kind of tend to assume that they happen by osmosis or it's easier for them. You know, it's easy. It must be easier for them to make those, those changes. And that's very rarely the case. It's just a matter of committing to the daily shifts and also committing to the fact that it's going to take a long time, you know, to get to those places as well. Were you always, I guess, happy to, to do the work of making yourself or re remaking or refinding yourself? No, I wasn't. In fact, I didn't even know I had lost myself mm. for a long time uh, or forgotten myself. I think that's a better way of putting it. Uh, I had just gotten so far away from who I was because of what I did and was doing and moving in the wrong direction that it was easier to ignore it. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to go through that process for a long time partly because I didn't really know I needed to, but I think when, once I knew I needed to, I resisted only because I knew it was going to be a lot of work mm -hmm. and I wasn't really sure what the outcome would be. And so some of it happened a little bit by default, you know, as I was simplifying my life and getting rid of the stuff that didn't matter to me, whether it be physical stuff or obligations or work or whatever, that in itself helped me to begin to remember who I was and what I enjoyed and how I liked to spend my time. So it was kind of a, like, I kind of was a little ways into the journey before I knew I was even making it. Mm. I think it's, it's a real excavation of our true selves, isn't it? So often they're buried, it's buried under layers of those obligations and clutter and expectations and, you know, the things that we feel we should be striving for or owning or doing or being, that once you start to very gradually loosen those layers, it's it shakes something free. Or it, That's certainly been my experience and it sounds like that's similar to you and it's a lot of other people I've spoken to have had the same kind of experience. We didn't realise how far away we'd moved or how d deep down, I guess, our, our true selves had become until we start to, to shake it free. And I don't know about you, but it was, it was really scary for me. Yeah. I think one of the scariest parts for me was really recognizing that I had created those layers mm. that I thought for the longest time, or I made myself believe that it all happened by default. Like, well, I have to work this job because I'm in so much debt, never really putting the pieces together that the reason I was so much in so much debt was because I was spending so much money because I was so miserable working this job that I didn't enjoy. And it was just like this crazy, vicious circle 
But as soon as I said, oh my gosh, I made this life. Like I created this life. This was all me. I could begin to, to remake it, to, to make, remake myself and get back to who I was without surprisingly a ton of, you know, you, we would think a, a lot of guilt would come along with that. And while certainly there were, were some, you know, major aha moments and, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Because I was being so proactive in moving towards a better place, it was easy to let go of the the guilt or the negative emotion around it. Right. Because I think that's something that holds a lot of people back too. You know, we, we make that realization. Maybe we do recognize that we've shifted so far, or maybe we do recognize that this is all of this stuff, these layers, this you know, this, this life that I've created is my own doing. And then we get stuck there and kind of just berating ourselves for it. So do you have any, uh, I guess, any advice or any, any insight into how people can learn to, to let go of that guilt and start to move forward again? Well, I mean, practically speaking, I think the best thing is just to, when you are having those, like feeling really bad about things, write down what you're feeling, Mm -hmm. Um, almost as if you're writing a letter to a friend who's going through a similar process because you would never say the things that you're saying to yourself, (laughs) to a friend, you know, you would be encouraging and uplifting and trying to help them to the next place. So immediately you're going to shift how you are talking to yourself about it. And then, I mean, the other thing is just to, to give yourself the time that you need to, to move through it and know that it doesn't have to happen overnight. Know that you're going to feel bad about it one day, but that's going to pass. And then there's so much freedom on the other end of it that it is worth moving through it. Yeah. I think that, that notion of feeling your feelings, even if they suck sometimes is really important. You, I, you meditate, don't you? I do. Yes. And I, I do as well. And that's probably one of the biggest lessons that it has taught me to just sit with discomfort sometimes and understand that once uh, I've learned to understand that if you soften into it more often than not, you pass through it much more easily than if you fight it or if you bury it down deep and ignore that try and ignore it or pretend that it's not there. But did you come to meditation after you had begun your simplifying process? I think I started, I'm trying to remember when I started meditating actually, because I may have, you know, right in the very beginning when I started my yoga practice, started some mini meditations, Mm -hmm. but in terms of a consistent practice, I think that came a few years later and even, I mean, it's still like this, a little bit of in and out, like for a while I was doing it every morning or five or six mornings a week. And then this summer I noticed it, my meditation practice sort of fell away. I was doing a lot of travel and I would do a meditation, grab one in the evening or a little time in the afternoon, but I didn't have that consistent morning practice. And for a while I didn't notice that anything had changed. And then it was like all of a sudden I did notice and I could tell that I, I wasn't as mindful or thoughtful moving throughout the day. I didn't have a place to, to go back to mm-hmm. when things got a little crazy where before, like I could just mentally kind of go back to my 15 quiet minutes in the morning in my head and everything just felt a little more settled. Uh, I, 
noticed I was sleeping a lot better when I was meditating consistently. So needless to say, I'm back at it. But I think sometimes you have to let things fall away to understand their benefit or to appreciate and know that you can always go back to it. Like that's the cool thing is instead of doing this whole, oh my gosh, I fell off the wagon thing and I'm a terrible person. So now I should eat a pack of cookies or (laughs) drink a bottle of wine. We can just start over, which I really like having permission to do. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting tendency that we have too as well, this immediate fall back into self-beration, you know, we're kind of self-flagellating because we messed up or because we, we let something slide and it's just, it's un, it, we don't have to do that, you know, it's okay. And I, I really like that you paint the idea of letting things like that slide sometimes as a positive because I, I absolutely agree. Sometimes we forget the impact that something like meditation or a green smoothie for breakfast, or eight hours sleep, or, you know, one of those kind of unsexy, boring things that we do have such a positive benefit on them, on our lives. And there is a reason that we do it, even if they feel unsexy or boring or or what have you, because they're important. And they're one of those things that allow us to then to go forward and, and live the life that we want. One thing that's interesting, though, about that, now that you say that, is that even though I was glad I finally noticed after really a few months, maybe a month and a half, two months, I could notice the difference from letting it slide. But when you first start something new like that, you may not notice the benefits right away. And that can be really frustrating. Yes. Yeah. Actually, interestingly, I don't know if this was your experience, if you can remember, but when I first started meditating, the first couple of days were great. I felt really zen and I'm like, that just changed my life. I'm never going back. And then within the first week, I started to notice a lot more. I just, I think it started to wake up a mindfulness in me that was, un. it wasn't, but it felt unpleasant at the time because I was more aware of when I was overwhelmed. I became more aware of anxiety and you know, external stresses and all these things, they were already there. It had just tapped me into this higher level of noticing that it felt deeply uncomfortable for a while. And I think I've spoken to a lot of people who have who have said the same thing and that's the reason that they've stopped meditating is because it brings them to this different place of consciousness or, or attention or noticing and it's uncomfortable. Did you Do you remember having an experience like that? I don't know if I did or not. I just remember feeling a little frustrated that it was okay to notice things, but you didn't have to do anything about mm-hmm. it. And normally when I would notice something, I'd want to fix it or do something, but to just be okay with observing and noticing <laughs> and then not doing anything about it. That was uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> that was the challenge. How do you, how do you deal with that now? I think it's just, from practicing Mm. that it's now, it feels kind of second nature. Uh, And I enjoy it now because not only like the little noticing, like on the mat, like, oh, I noticed that I've got a little twinge in my knee from sitting this way or an itch on my face that I would really like to scratch. And of course I could adjust or move, but sometimes I like just to let it be and see what happens. And I have moved that into bigger areas of my life. Like what if I don't, what if I do just notice this thing that's happening? I can't think of a specific example right now, but, and not try to fix it. Like, will it resolve on its own? 
And nine times out of 10, it sure does. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't need me at all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Our tendency to want to fix things straight away or to, to remove the discomfort or the unpleasantness as, as quickly as possible. Uh, yeah, add so especially much. in other people's lives. Yes. Like when someone you love is either, you know, suffering on some degree, like maybe they just had a bad day and they're telling you about it. In my mind, like I'm writing a, a 10 bulleted blog post about how they can fix how they feel right now. Mm -hmm. When in reality, like we were talking about before, they just have to feel how they're feeling mm -hmm. and I have to be there to just to be there. And, and I don't have to really do anything. Mm. Um, now I'm sure that's not every case, but in most cases, uh, and I know when I'm sharing something with someone, I don't necessarily want the solution. Uh, I just want to say how I feel. Yeah. I had an interesting conversation with Ben about this recently. Actually, I was uh, venting about something and saying I didn't want a solution. I wasn't looking for one. I probably didn't need one, but it was, I was frustrated or I was hurt. Um, and immediately he jumps into fixing mode. Uh, and I, I said to him, it's okay. I, you don't need to fix it. I don't need a solution. I just need you to listen. And I sat there and watched him kind of internally struggle with it. He's like, but I think that I can help you. You are helping. Yeah. Just listening is helping, you know. So would, is that the sort of, would you kind of extend that advice out to people who have perhaps a partner or a family member or a friend who maybe wants to simplify or has shown some kind of interest in simplifying but isn't yet ready to do the daily work? I mean, how would you extend that idea to just support them and, and give them what they need without being pushy? Yeah, I think you just have to always keep the invitation open mm -hmm. and they will, they'll rise up when they're ready. Like they, they know the invitation is open. They see that you're doing the work. You can have conversations about it. Like what, what you noticed by simplifying and how that impacted something in a positive way, for instance, but the pushy thing doesn't work. Like no one's ever pushed me into change yep. that lasts. Yep. I know that for sure, but I might read a book on my own and hear an idea and it will really take hold of my heart and then I'm going to go for it. But until it does, if I do it for someone else, I'm going to do it half-heartedly and uh, with very little success. Mm. Yeah. And there's often resentment or, you know, a feeling of being coerced at some point as well, which is never going to, to leave people feeling, um, you know, like they're making their best, best choices. Right. You feel like you're being pushed into yeah. it. You feel like you're being judged a little bit yes. along the way. Yeah. I think you just have to be encouraging and keep the invitation open. And then when they start, let you have to let them do it their way. Like that's the other thing is you may have been on doing this for a year and you've got like the master decluttering tricks and you know exactly what they should do, but they have to find their own way. Like there are more than, there's more than one way to, to get it done. And this is hard for people. Mm. It was hard for me for sure. Uh, you just have to let people find their way, give suggestions and then let it go. Mm. Well, and then that, I mean, that beautifully ties back to the whole thread of this conversation, which is love as well. You do, you, you make those suggestions with love, but you also, the way that you make them, you need to make that loving as well. It's not just the underlying intention is probably always one of love or kindness, particularly if you just want to share this with the person, but it's how we deliver it and how we expect them to 
to do anything with that information needs to be loving and heart-centered as well. It does. Loving. It has to be a little fun. Like this doesn't have to be all serious (laughs) and miserable. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's one of the other things that that you've done beautifully in, in, in the book is you've made it all so positive. It doesn't have to be this drudgery, you know. Um, yes, there's work to do, but the benefits are wonderful because of this. Or yes, there's there's work that's going to be ongoing or shifts that you're going to continue to make, but look at what happens. You know, the focus that you have is on the love. It is on the what we stand to gain rather than what we're, we stand to lose. And I think that it's that's incredibly um, inviting to people, you know, and I think that you've just, done such a wonderful job of making it so positive and beautiful and heart-centered um so congratulations it's it's wonderful it really is um Courtney thank you so much for your time and for sharing so openly I want to encourage everyone listening to go and pre-order or grab a copy if they're listening a little later of your new book soulful simplicity it is truly just wonderful. It lit me up. It really did. I was sitting there with a big smile on my face throughout parts of it and tears in my eyes throughout other parts of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, and I think the best place for people to get to the book would be bemorewithless.com slash soulful dash simplicity. But I will put links to that in the show notes for everyone uh, to go and to grab a copy. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Brooke, thank you so much. I can't wait until we meet. Oh, me either. (laughs) Who is that? Hi, Papa.